When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Will Lomas. Uh, Matias is out this week, but we have a more than capable replacement. Uh, Nick Lombardi will be sitting in for Matias today. Nick uh, was frequently our understudy host when we did the Titan size podcast, uh, you know, last year and the year before. And I think a few episodes ago, Nick, I referred to you as the most underrated follow on Titans Twitter. And I 100% think that that's true. Wow. That, that is high praise. Uh, now that's also put a lot of pressure on me to, you know, kind of back up my my twitter takes in uh, audio form so i'm I'm a little nervous now but i appreciate it good to get back on with you and you know the i think part of it too is like i can't hardly like i've hardly even looked at titans twitter since the season ended because i'm just like i need a break because there's just so much (laughs) dumb nonsense on there yeah and i think there like is an element of people are just bored and like just enjoy stirring the pot Oh, yeah. From time to time, and I will admittedly say I'm 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 guilty of that. <laughs> um, like it's very obvious what buttons you need to push to get Titans Twitter going. And every now and then, I'll just be sitting around bored at lunch, like, yeah, let's let's push a button, see what happens. So that happened a little bit today. <laughs> so you can follow our show on social media at No Nonsense, both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show on whatever platform you use to listen to get easier and faster access to all of our new episodes. And if you're listening on iTunes, we'd appreciate it if you leave us a rating and review. We've got a good show for you today. What we're going to be doing is we're going to go through the list of the Titans' big four impending free agents, that being uh, Derek Henry, Ryan Tannehill, Jack Conklin, and Logan Ryan. We're going to go through those four, talk about who they should bring back, who maybe they shouldn't bring back, how much each of those guys would cost. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about something that came out on Tuesday about Titans wide receiver Corey Davis, Will's favorite player. Um, (laughs) And so we're just going to go ahead and hop right on in. Let's start with Derrick Henry, uh, because this is the one that I think fans have talked the most about. I haven't seen a ton of, like, banter and, and debate on Twitter about Tannehill But with Henry, I've seen a lot of back and forth, and some of it is like, 
you know, if you don't want them to bring back Derrick Henry, you're crazy. And then it's like, well, I mean, I saw something today that was stupid about they need to not bring back Derrick Henry, but instead sign Melvin Gordon. And look, I, I well, I'll just let you take over. Make the case for them re-signing Derrick Henry because I don't know that there is a case against it. Yeah, like if if you're going to make a case against it, you probably are going to talk about what will happen two or three years down the line cap situation. And with the new CBA, we don't really have a great idea of what all that will be. You know, we don't know what cap space will be. We don't know if it'll be a 17-game season. We we don't know any of that stuff. But the, the case for it is he's your most explosive player just in terms of being able to get vertical and give you big, long touchdown plays and – He's people say he's the centerpiece of the offense. I don't, I don't know how much I believe that in terms of. I think the Titans tried to do the same thing earlier in the year with Deion Lewis, just in terms of giving him touches and making the run game and play action their big one-two punch. I don't, I don't know that it's because Derrick Henry is so great, but that that's why it succeeded. That's why there was a clear difference between Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis is because I mean you're talking about peaks and valleys, but. I mean, you need a talented guy taking snaps, so why not pay a guy who is such a good fit in your offense and can give you so much? I mean, it within reason. Like, I'm not talking about give the guy a five-year, $120 million deal, but, you know, it, give the guy money or franchise tag him. It, it seems very simple. Or, I mean, at the very least, transition tag him, I guess, is, is the lowest you should go. Yeah, and to jump in on that, I, I think, Derrick Henry is he kind of goes against all reason right you know there's the big push in terms of running backs don't matter nowadays and I I I mean if you look at recent contracts you know David Johnson and Zeke Elliott and Todd Gurley like a lot of those teams have got themselves in cap trouble um but Derrick Henry I think is just kind of irreplaceable like there's no one on earth who can do what he does and what he brings to the table and so I I just I have a hard time thinking that the Titans could just you know draft DeAndre Swift and like pick up right where they left off. Um, but like you said, well, like I, I also don't want to commit five years to him. I think you know for the kind of runner that he is, like you don't want to commit money past two years. So then it kind of gets tricky in terms of contract negotiations. Like, what will Derrick Henry want to agree to? And that's where you know. Like Luke said, the tag kind of starts making more and more sense. You know, and I want to get more into the contract in a little bit because I did kind of a deep dive on that last week. But in, in terms of Henry on the field, I think you make a good point, Nick, in that, you know, usually, yes, running backs are very, very replaceable. I mean, you have teams finding the Aaron Joneses of the world, the Dalvin Cooks of the world, Nick Chubb in the second, third, fourth, even, you know, fifth, sixth rounds. And, and so, yeah, it is becoming replaceable. However, my all-time favorite NFL player, if you listen to this podcast, you know that, is Adrian Peterson. And while I will not say that Derrick Henry is as good as Adrian Peterson because he's not, Derrick Henry to this Titans offense has a similar effect to what prime Adrian Peterson had to those Vikings teams that he led in that it was just so unbelievable what he was doing and that everyone knew what was coming and they still couldn't stop it because he was so good that it's not replaceable. It's it's rare that you get someone that is literally dragging the team along. And and, and I don't like using that phrase because Tannehill was great in his own regard, don't get me wrong, 
But in a lot of ways, Henry kind of dragged the Titans to the AFC Championship. And to me, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to, after that, be like, well, we'll just find someone else. Yeah, I mean, the problem with it is, and like I said, I'm very much on the pro sign Derrick Henry to something reasonable, even if you have to pay extra at some point. Just don't overextend yourself. But you you have to worry about just this being the first time that he really saw more than a month at a time where he was the number one back. And how sustainable is it for a full season if you have to do it from week one all the way to week 16 like or week 17? I mean, that, that's got to be the concern because whatever they see in camp, they obviously don't want no coaching staff has liked him enough to say, OK, he should be our three down back. And he's, you know, Zeke like he, he's Saquon. He's one of those guys. So a lot of that has to do with his ability and, you know, pass protection and all that. But. Still, like, you would imagine that at some point in the four-year career, if they saw him, either one of these staffs between Malarkey or Vrabel, if they saw him as like, okay, this is a guy who is the foundation of our offense, he wouldn't be an afterthought in games like Carolina. And, you know, it, it wouldn't keep happening where he has these slow starts early in the year. So I think there's something that is not translating to what we see on the field compared to what they see in practice. But I still don't think it's going to be any reason they won't pay him. Well, let me ask you guys this. Do you put any stock into the report that um, John Robinson had tried to trade Derrick Henry before his big breakout the previous year? Or do you think that the run he's been on since erases any doubt that John Robinson might have had? Or, you know, maybe he does have some doubts about the type of player he can be. Well, I mean, they also were playing David Fluellen ahead of Henry at that at the <laughs> point that that was happening. So, I mean, I, my, my, and back then, I did not like Derrick Henry at all. I thought that he was a uh, replacement level. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, you know, whether you want to credit the Eddie George thing or, or not, you know, it's undeniable he's a lot better. Will, I imagine you'd say about the same thing. Yeah, I would imagine they did try to trade him just because, and I don't know if it was necessarily like, we'll take anything you'll give us for him, but I mean, if somebody would offer you a first round pick for him or a second round pick, yeah, I think any GM in the league would have taken it. I think Derrick Henry's own words were, I suck. Like, so, you know, it, it wasn't like it was a big secret and he felt like it was an injustice. He knew he was getting touches and he wasn't doing the most with them and you know, he's addressed that, and they've moved on from it, I think. But I don't think there's any ill will. In fact, I, I would say that sort of the connection he has to Eddie George, how much you, how much stock you want to put into that, I don't know. But just the whole idea of him playing in the South his whole career, him having so much success after the Titans were pretty patient with him, even though they did probably try to trade him, but they didn't just take whatever was offered. I, I wonder if that goes – farther than we think i think it's a fair question yeah i mean i feel like we'll get to it as we go well this will keep coming back up but i think we're really going to learn a lot about john robinson this offseason and kind of what he values and uh he's had he has a lot of players that he's drafted and it's I, I really have no idea what he's going to do. I have a better feel for where, how he drafts and how he handles his resigning his own guys. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, uh, you know, he hadn't had to do that, really. I mean, Daquan Jones, okay, but there hadn't been, like, a big-time, you know, hot-ticket mm-hmm. free agent for him yet. It's it's like a weird, perfect storm because he's always gotten in front of it. He got in front of it with Kevin Byard. He got in front of it with uh, Taylor Lewan. Like, he hasn't let somebody really get to this point before, so... You know, Jack Conklin was kind of a freak situation, just, you know, looking so bad after his ACL recovery. And then now we're here with that. So you're at the point where there's a lot of, you know, situations that I don't think happen. You know, I I don't think we'll ever see. And maybe this is just optimistic, but I don't ever think we'll see a situation where there's four big ticket guys all scheduled to leave the Titans at the same time because I just don't think Robinson is a guy who pushes problems off to the future. I think he would rather proactively solve them and then deal with the repercussions there. But it it, it is really strange. Well, uh, just, and, I, and I think to your point, Will, it, it was very circumstantial in that you know Tannehill was the backup at the beginning of the season, had a prove it year and did prove it. Henry coming off of a year where you're like, you don't really know what he is, and he's also a running back, so you don't want to, you know, re-sign him quite that early. Uh, you know, Conklin had the terrible season last year, rebounded. And, uh, you know, Logan Ryan was only coming off of two years and and a big he injury. His leg, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it is, it is kind of the perfect storm for the Titans to have been in this situation. So I do want to talk about Henry's contract because I, I did a deep dive on that last week and I posted a story at a to z sports nashville.com about it. And as I'm looking into running back contracts to say, okay, what's Derek Henry going to get? I kind of found a trend among the running backs that have had extensions recently, guys like uh, Zeke and Todd Gurley and... Uh, all those guys and the the trend is that virtually all of those extensions have are very front-loaded in terms of the guarantees they're not front-loaded in terms of of the annual value because most of them are you know 13 14 15 every single year in terms of cap hit but all of them end their guarantees very early on into the contract i i if the cowboys could cut elliot for $2 million halfway into the contract. And so if your concern about re-signing Henry is longevity, you know, Nick, I think you threw out, you know, what if, if it was just a two-year contract, like if they give Henry a five-year deal with the precedent that has been set by people like Zeke, by people like Todd Gurley, it's really a glorified three-year deal with two option years. And I think that that really works in the Titans' favor. Yeah, I think that does make sense. Um, and basically the only thing that can't happen in that situation is for the guys to fall off a cliff, which is exactly what happened with David Johnson and, to a lesser extent, Todd Gurley. Um, like, if those guys are playing like they used to, they're not – bad deals but those guys fell off so hard and that's really your only concern with derrick henry is that he gets hurt or suddenly turns into a pumpkin which i don't think is going to happen so yeah it's it's all about the where the actual guaranteed money is and i I don't have a problem with two years i think it will be interesting though to see where he is valued as a two down back versus all those other guys who bring 
so much in the passing game. Um, so I'll be interested to see what the actual numbers shake out to. Yeah, that's that's the concern. It's something that Ian Rappaport has said a couple of times uh, when he's talked to the guys in Nashville on the radio is he said that he doesn't think there's any team in the league that would rate Derrick Henry as important as the Titans would. So it makes sense for both of them to come to a deal because he won't have as big of a market in free agency as he thinks. And I believe this is a direct direct quote from Rappaport is the the market wouldn't be kind of what he's expecting. And then he went on to talk about how the Titans have used him and shifted towards an offense that really fits him and that they've kind of gotten through those lumps and figured everything out. So it seems like it makes sense for both parties to agree on a deal. So I think we, we all agree that that'll happen. It's just, are, are the Titans going to do what they did with Kenny Vaccaro where they say, okay, you know, test this tampering period and you see what you want to do based on how much we're willing to give you compared to what other people are willing to give you. Because if Rappaport's right and there really isn't that much of a market, I mean, the past 12 months, I think we've seen John Robinson stare down the barrel of a gun more often than not. He did it with A.J. Brown at 50, in the second round, and then he did it with Kenny Vaccaro in free agency where he just said, you know, I've got – I've got a plan in place and I'm not going to, you know, overspend and I'm not going to jump the gun and drag, you know, I'm going to wait and see. And then if it falls the way it's supposed to, I'll capitalize. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. So I'm I'm interested to see kind of how long into the franchise tag. And then if he doesn't get franchise tagged or a deal doesn't get done, how long until into free agency before we see a deal from Henry anyway, if they don't bring back Henry, what do they do? I mean, do they do you try to, you know, find the next Kareem Hunt or Aaron Jones and just kind of take someone on day three? Do you, as some mock drafts have have said, you know, a DeAndre Swift or someone of the like in the first round? What do you do? I mean, I, because the running game is so crucial. What the Titans do and play action was so crucial. Ryan Tannehill last year that. Look, Tannehill's great, don't get me wrong, but you don't want to turn into Mr. Throw-It 50 times a game. You're not built for that. Uh, so is this what I think they'll do or what I think they should do? What, because what, if they don't bring back Henry, what is the correct way then to approach it? What they should do is they should find out what the Chargers are going to do with Eckler. That's that's the first thing I would do because he's got pretty limited wear and tear and he's a restricted free agent this year. Is he really a restricted free agent? Yeah. So mm. if they're if they're not committed to him and they didn't seem committed to him when they had mediocre Melvin Gordon there. So you know if if they can't commit to him when in front of them on the field is a guy who you know is one of the most productive running backs around the league and you're still splitting carries with him and Melvin Gordon in the crunch time of the season, you probably aren't committed to him long-term anyway. And he's not going to go there just to be a split, split carry back again. So you get him and now all of a sudden you have a dynamic 50% of the snap guy who can play on third downs. And then it makes it a lot easier, you know, whether you want to find another person in free agency, which I don't recommend, or if you want to go in the draft and draft somebody, you know, 
I mean, you could draft a guy in the first round, but I, I don't know that I necessarily would just based on value. But, yeah, I mean, that's that would be priority one for me if I were the Titans and I'm not re-signing Henry. Yeah, the one thing I would say you don't do is sign Melvin Gordon instead. Because, I mean, yeah, you're, sure. you're saving, what, like a couple million a year? Like, you're not even getting any value out of it. Um I do like the Eckler idea. And yeah, as you like say it out loud, there's no real difference maker in free agency that you could bring in that you would save money on over Henry. I mean, you can try and find a Mostert somehow, but good luck with that. And so I I would think actually that they would draft a running back in the first round just because like Luke, you said, it's such a like the run game is so valuable to this offense that I think they would put valuable resources towards it. Um, and then that way you get value from saving on Henry. Um, but the more I talk about it out loud, the more I just can't really see any way around them moving on from Henry. Okay. Well, it's time for us to move on to Ryan Tannehill. Uh, someone else that similarly, I don't really buy any argument against bringing him back. I mean, I I just doesn't make any sense because quarterback is such a volatile position, and it's like I think back to the Vikings not being satisfied with Case Keenum, and you know, Kirk Cousins maybe worked out sort of at the end of this year, but like you're paying him a lot of money. I don't know. I think that. I think Derrick Henry said it best on on Taylor Lewan's podcast when he said, uh, you know, if they bring in someone else, it's like, why wasn't Tannehill good enough? Yeah, I mean, this one to me is by far the easiest decision. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't really know. And, you know, I'll I'll take y'all's opinion on it in a second, but I don't really know how you can imagine somebody coming in and being better than what Tannehill did. Now, you can say, oh, but we've seen so many years of his production. His production has not been awful. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like he's, like, out there taking knees and throwing 30 interceptions a year. Like, he he doesn't suck. Like, his floor is not XFL quarterback. Like, he, I mean – he his floor is probably still better than what the Titans have had in terms of just being able to make explosive throws and being willing to take those throws. And Will, I think so, that's something Matias would say if he were here because he he was making that comment a few weeks ago about how like it might be a mirage that Tannehill is like super elite like he kind of was this year, but the floor for Tannehill is still pretty good, like far more than serviceable. Yeah, he had more uh, total touchdowns in his star in his ten starts in the regular season and his two starts, sorry, three starts in the playoffs than any Titans quarterback has ever had since they moved from Houston. Not McNair, not you know, not peak Mariota. I mean, no, nobody. It, it was the best, more the most productive in terms of total touchdown season. So it, it it's weird to me how. And, and I won't go too long on this tangent, but it's just weird to me how people are so ready to try something else, like bringing in a geriatric quarterback from a team you just beat in the playoffs when you've got somebody who's still got 10 years left and they're doing it in front of you with the talent you have. There, there's no translation. It's just I'm. this is apples to apples. Can this guy do this at 
90% of the same level next year with the exact same guys if we run it back. And I don't know how people keep translating that into there's no way you should re-sign Tannehill, but I see it every single day. Yeah, I think it's it's just straightforward. You know, you have good QB play for the first time in however many years. Uh, don't mess with it. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, kind of like Henry, you know, you're going to get down in the nuts and bolts and what Tannehill thinks he deserves out of this. Um, and I think Sport Track has him at $30 million a year. And, you know, I can understand the argument, well, that's a lot of money to commit to a guy that really had a 10-game great stretch. And I get it. But I, I think also like Henry, if you can structure it where it's most, you know, kind of like a Nick Foles contract where it's four years, but really the bulk of that money is in the first two. And, you know, if, if he continues playing that way, he's going to be worth it on the back end with how the cap's going to rise. And if he's not, you know, you'll, you'll probably see early on next year that, okay, well, we have to start planning for what's going to happen after that. Will, what do you always say about the cap? It's all nonsense. It's imaginary. It's imaginary. The cap, by the way, I looked this up the other day. I believe it's projected to double since the new CBA was announced back however many years ago. Yeah. Not this season, but next season, it will have doubled from when that took effect. So the the money is growing at such a big rate that – if you sign a guy for 10% of your or 15% of your cap now, by the time his deal is over, not that he would ever, not that anybody ever reaches the end of their deal, but if it was that long, it'll be something like 6% of your cap. And if you spend that money on a quarterback who's top 10 in the league over that period of time, you did a good job. Like that, it, it's so frustrating to hear people. Just say, like, you can't pay this guy X amount of money per year. Well, yeah, you can. It doesn't – it's jelly beans to you. It doesn't make any difference. It's all just numbers on a page. You don't know how it's structured. You can't just say a blanket statement. Because if they get Tannehill to sign next year for $20 million and it's only $20 million on the cap, and then it's 25 next year and then 28 the year after that, but that 28 year is – you know, you can cut him and get $2 million in dead cap and the rest is fine, then that's a great job. You really got him on a two-year $42 million deal and saved money when you were in a pinch with the cap. So it, it's all just fake outrage to me. You know, there's a reason that sometimes in baseball, a catcher who's not very good sticks around a while, like David Ross did with the Cubs. And it's because they have this relationship with the pitchers where the pitcher's comfortable with them. And though that catcher might not be that good or that talented, it's more about the relationship and getting the pitch selections across and, and that sort of thing. And while Tannehill's, not, Tannehill's good, uh, that's not the point of this example, the point of this example is that quarterbacks and offensive coordinators work similarly. Like, you want to call Brady a system quarterback? That's fine. I bet you he's one of the only quarterbacks that that system could work with. Okay? And so Arthur Smith clearly is able to run this system effectively through Ryan Tannehill. Why in the world would you want to risk bringing in someone else? Because we saw what this offense looked like with Marcus Mariota at the helm and how immediately when Tannehill came in, everything kicked up. And I have a hard time believing that Arthur Smith just figured it out against the Chargers that day. <laughs> yeah, and he also doesn't have any 
QBs out there that he's had a relationship with before. Like, if you look at um, the well, Colts' I offensive mean, coordinator you, who's you worked could, with Rivers. You, you could try bringing in, you know, Jake Locke or Ryan Fitzpatrick if that suits your fancy. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think Jake is free. I think he. I think he's ready to go. Isn't he like an he, ordained minister now? <laughs> I don't know. I but that say, sounds about right. <laughs> the wilderness has him now. Like I don't even know if he has a phone. <laughs> but he has a rotary phone. But yeah, I mean, there's no like. You know, I could see Philip Rivers being brought into uh, to Indianapolis to come over Jacoby Brissett because the relationship he has with the offensive coordinator. But you know, any any new QB they're going to bring in is going to be a question mark. And for a team that for Arthur Smith, which is funny, you know, he was hired for continuity, right? So wouldn't he want to have that same continuity with his quarterback? I, not only that, but the fact that Tannehill immediately came in and was, you know, I don't know that they'll ever say it, but it sure looked like there were a lot of times where he was brushing off any sort of play call that might be made to hurry up to the line and make his own call based off what he saw. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And they found a way to make that coexist and work. And the offense got more aggressive and just all around better when Tannehill took over, not even just from the like passing game standpoint, even though that was a huge part of it, but just the ability to be able to go, okay, we're going to go hurry up because I see they're in too deep and I'm going to attack it this way or – I see that, you know, A.J. Brown should be good for this. You know, whatever that extra step is, Tannehill knew the offense so much that he could just immediately come in and run it and run it like he'd been playing in it for three or four years. I mean, there's no guarantee that, you know, if Tom Brady comes over, that he has any idea what he's – because he's been calling stuff the same thing for a decade now. Like, he molds offensive coordinators to him, not really vice versa. So, uh, I, I don't I don't know where that whole idea came from, except for people, you know, who make that trade on Madden or who just know name value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to take a 30-second break to hear a word from one of our sponsors – When we get back, we'll let you know who you need to be voting for in the primary elections for the Democratic presidential nomination. No, I'm kidding. We're going to talk about more free agents when we get back. (laughs) Never politics on No Nonsense. Okay, let's talk about Jack Conklin, the Titans' bookend right tackle who has been their primary starter for the last four years. Before we get into Conklin specifically, let me just say this. Titans had the chance to pick up Jack Conklin's fifth-year option last offseason. They elected not to. However, fifth-year options don't become guaranteed at all, like any of it guaranteed, until uh, March of the next year. Why would you ever not pick up a fifth-year option? Like, I I, I don't get that. Every year, I look back, and I'm like, am I sure that it's not fully guaranteed? I look back, and yes, it doesn't kick in at all until March. So why does a te- why doesn't every team just pick up every fifth year option, give themselves that cushion, and then if Conklin had been terrible this year, they'd be like, eh, we don't want him, and cut him. Yeah, you've said that, and every time you say that, it doesn't make sense in my head, and it sounds like you have information wrong. But... Like it sounds, it sounds like I have a misunderstanding of it. Well, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Will. No, I was just gonna say like. And if that's true, like because I, I just take your word for it because you're so emphatic about it. And but I, if that's true, I don't understand why it's even an option. Like, 
I just don't get it, I guess. There's there is a clause though that is the reason why they don't do it, and is and that's if Jack Conklin comes in and tears his ACL on in week one, his contract becomes guaranteed, his option becomes guaranteed. So it's an injury guarantee. There's an injury oh, clause. Okay. okay. Yeah. So with a with a player like Conklin that had recent injury issues, yeah, that it does make some sense where they're like if he comes out and gets injured, uh then so, we're just, you know, going to be left with holding the bag on the money. So I don't know how in-depth your knowledge is on this. Does this guarantee for injury cover, like, you know, he tweaks an ankle in week eight and misses a game and comes back and then it kicks in? Like, how does it work? That I'm not sure on the specifics. Um, it has to do with, like, a physical, and I don't know if, like, you know, independent arbitrators get involved or what, but there is some sort of protocol. And, no, I don't think – I think he would have to go through like a medical exam and like determine if that it was like a serious enough injury, basically. You know what I'm going to do is I bought this book a week or so ago and I haven't like sat down and read it all the way through. It's called Crunching Numbers and it's a book entirely about the NFL salary cap. And so before next week's episode, I'm going to read the chapter about fifth year options and make sure that I have a clear understanding about that. Um, yeah. There's definitely an injury clause, and that's and that's the reason why teams don't do it, um, either with guys who have been injured, or guys who have just been terrible. Um, but I'm not sure, yeah, how you enforce an injury clause. So uh, we will get back to that next week because I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, let, let's get into Jack Conklin, though. As I said earlier, Titans starter at offensive tackle for the last four years, general manager John Robinson's first ever draft pick. Uh, Look, my thing with Conklin is I think there are three position groups in the NFL that if it's working, you don't mess with it. One is the secondary, two is the offensive line, and three is quarterback. Now, I am going to get a little hypocritical when we talk about Logan Ryan because I do think maybe, <laughs> I do think maybe you can mess that up. Um, but with Jack Conklin, this offensive line was road grading people at the end of the season, and I, I just I don't think you can move on from him because you know Will and I love talking about w- the days of Will Svitek and Byron Bell and Jeremiah Putasi and all of these people that maybe if you're lucky you've never heard of that were once starters on the offensive line for the Titans this past decade. Yeah, so I, I guess since we're so pro on it, like Nick, do you want to talk about like your case for it and what what you kind of said today? Yeah, I'll, so we were talking about you know pushing Twitter buttons, and that's one that I pushed today <laughs> by saying that uh, <laughs> that Conklin isn't as irreplaceable as some of y'all make him out to be, and. That sense is so. The reason why it's pushing a button is because it's a little facetious in that, like, basically any player is replaceable, right? Minus, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and a select few you can probably count on one hand. Because um, at the end of the day, Conklin would be very difficult to replace. He's a very good player at a premier position and at a good age. And, you know, with a, he's a all pro talent. What I get hung up on is like, I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion that they want to bring him back because just the the price tag. And Luke, I think you said even earlier in this podcast, you know, 
Robinson looks down the barrel of the gun and he has a price in his head on what he wants to spend and he's not going to go over that. And I might be wrong, but I, I think we're looking at Jack Conklin's going to be the highest paid tackle in the league, right? You know, DJ Humphreys just got $15 million a year and he's had one healthy season out of four. I mean, I, I think that well, Conklin's going to get paid a boatload. And, and, I don't and you're, and you're right. I, I don't mean, necessarily know that Robinson is going to want to pay that. I'm not saying he's wrong either way, but I could see him having some hangups and try to game the system and be like, well, I think that we, I can, you know, draft his replacement. I drafted him, or I think that Kelly can hold down the fort. There are two positions in the NFL where it absolutely pays remarkably well to be mediocre. Offensive line and wide receiver. Every year we see it. Average, average, average receivers and average, average, average offensive linemen get boatloads of money for no reason every single year. And so you're right in logically saying it means it will probably follow that Conklin, who is probably not like a lead or, or great, but a very good right tackle, probably figures to make a lot. What about this? Let's say they work out extensions with Tannehill, an extension with Tannehill. An extension with Henry, like we talked about, where it's front-loaded in terms of the guarantees, and then they use the tag on Conklin. I, I love that, but I think I've, I've—I don't know if I've ever written about that or said anything about it, but I do like the idea of uh, signing Tannehill to a longer-term deal, transition tag and Henry, and then franchise tag and Conklin. Or I think you That's, could tra- you could transition tag Conklin because if you're worried about. Because Henry, I think it's like whatever the market is, the Titans are going to pay it. So why not just give him what he wants anyway? With Conklin, it's like, well, it really depends on what the market is as to whether the Titans are going to want to pay it. So you give him the transition tag, essentially turn him into a restricted free agent. Then you see what the market is, and if you don't like it, then you don't have to pay it. I mean, I think the problem with that is that – if you can't match another team's offer that they get him. So let's say who has a ton of cap, the the Browns. So the Browns have a ton of cap space, I believe maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they don't, but if they don't, the jets do and they need offensive tackle help badly. They can front load a deal. that The Titans just literally can't match. They could make him a $30 million a year guy in year one. And then he could have $5 million next year. Yeah, and there's nothing you could do about it. Whereas if somebody's going to pay Henry twenty million dollars a year for next year, you know, good luck wherever you're going to go, Henry. <laughs> I, you know, I wish you nothing but the best. But if somebody can do that and end up with a 26 year old offensive tackle, and they get him for five years, and you know they get to use a big chunk of their cap on on something that they desperately need, and then in addition to that, they get a really low cap from here on out. It, it kind of you're kind of doing them a favor almost if they're willing to bite that bullet up front. Um, but, you know, is somebody willing to do that? I don't know. But that's why I would go franchise tag on Conklin and transition on Henry is because I just don't think a team is willing to put the money down on a running back like that. Uh, but, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see what would happen if they can find a deal with Tannehill. Also, if they find a deal with Tannehill, I – think it's likely that they find a deal with Henry just because the new agent that Henry has and the I think he's also Robinson's agent. So it's like 
it's all kind of in the family there. So it seems like they wouldn't do something that hurts one of their guys and helps one of them. But that's, that's, you know, 3d chess. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. Yeah. I think tagging Conklin would probably be the ideal situation, no matter if you think he's, you know, worth keeping around or if you think he should leave because of how pricey he's going to get, because if you tag him, and you withhold him from being able to negotiate through all free agency, and then other teams are getting real thirsty for tackles, you can probably flip him, you know, I don't know, to Dolphins at 56 or something with how much cap space they have. And you could get a cap or a pick right away and not have to wait another one, another year for a comp pick. Or, you know, you keep him on the tag and you can figure, you know, just push the decision down another year. Um, it gives you a lot of options. Um, so yeah, I, I think really that getting Tannehill locked up kind of would clear the picture for all the other dominoes to fall just because of the cap size of that and how that's structured. Um, but yeah, I, I think ideally you, you tag Conklin. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, let, let's round out this discussion of the big four free agents with number four, Logan Ryan. I did make the comment that you know you don't want to mess up a good secondary, but this one, you know, in a normal situation, yes, absolutely bring Logan Ryan back. I think you can probably end up signing him to a deal very similar to what he initially signed for—a three-year deal for you know thirteen million a year, however much it was. Uh, I'm going to write about that later this week, so I'll have more information soon on that front. But I think that of the four, Ryan is probably number four in terms of priority. And so I think if you can bring him back, you absolutely do. But if you're in a situation and you're John Robinson and you're like, man, I just don't want to bring all four of them back, I think Logan Ryan has to be you know, priority number four, right? Yeah, I mean, it – it's rough because he's been such a good locker room leader kind of guy, and he's been such a good bonding agent for this defensive back group. He's really freaking good at football, too. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking about when you look at him statistically next to other corners, he's good. And, you know, over the last two years, he's been good. But, you know, when you kind of already are invested in, you know, three other players, you've given them contracts that, you know, you have to pay. Well, you don't have to, but you know what I'm talking about with Vaccaro and Bayard and Butler. Like, that's that's a lot of money invested. And with the market the way it probably will be for corners, and it always is, if you put up the kind of year that Ryan had, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much the difference is in, you know, terms of a per-year basis. I don't know what the difference is in his contract and what Conklin gets. Like, it, it'll be a pretty steep, like, $12 million a year contract. And that, that may end up being a $6 million difference if Conklin hits free agency. But, I mean, $12 million is a lot for a cornerback. You've got to sign for another three years. And I just I don't think that's where Robinson's going to spend his money. Yeah, I agree with that. And <clears throat> you also kind of have to think if they've had a, a Monty Hooker waiting in the wings with how good of a – a slot cornerback he was you know he's played all over but he was really good in the slot in college i know um yeah and you, you got a dory coming up that's going to need a decent sized contract yeah it just kind of seems good like it's, yeah 
yeah. it just kind of seems like he's odd man out a little bit. And you also yeah. got to wonder with Logan Ryan, you know, there's whispers that he'll eventually transition to being his safety too. So you wonder if he's going to go somewhere that allow him to do that or if he's, you know, set on being a cornerback for the next few years. I kind of think that, you know, uh, which, which uh, Devin McCourty was a safety in New England and had talked about possibly retiring. It almost makes a lot of sense for him to go back to New England and kind of pick up the Devin McCourty yeah. role of going from cornerback to safety. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that. Um, and I think calling him the odd man out is appropriate. And I'll say this, too, about Logan Ryan on the negative side, because there aren't many. I mean, we, we hit you, you hit it all, Will. He's great on the field, great in the locker room. I think that the playoffs emphasized his lack of athleticism because he's really good with technique and he's he's physical and he, he's going to do everything by the book but at the end of the day when you've got Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins running all over the place that's just not his forte and that's what you have to beat in the AFC yeah and in, in the AFC South now that Fuller and Stills are on a team for you know at least another year together it's, it's it's a lot of speed to have to cover with the team you're fighting against for the division title. So that's tough. And then one thing I think that it's hard for Titans fans to think about is let's look at like Chris Harris. Like he's going to be a free agent this year. Love he's a Chris little Harris. bit yeah. He's he's a little bit older, but he's still been very good for a long time at doing. Oh, oh, only sorry to interrupt, but only corner I've ever seen who his team had him travel with Antonio Brown all over the field. <laughs> Even Patrick yeah, I mean, Peterson, I don't think, did that. At least into the slot, he didn't travel with him. Yeah, and that's that's where Harris thrived. Is like If you're looking at free agent slot guys or free agent guys who can also play safety, like if you're looking at a slot guy, Chris Harris is going to be right there too. Like, Do you think the Titans, if they could give equal deals to both of those guys, do we think that they would lean towards Logan Ryan? Like. I, I would assume, but at the same time, like, I, I don't think it's necessarily a given. And then you've got Byron Jones who can be the whole versatile, like he can be your slot or he can drop deep. And, you know, you've got these other guys who we've seen what the safety market's like. We've seen what kind of, for whatever reason, sometimes certain defensive backs get weird deals that aren't as big as you think, especially if they play slot. You know, if you're just thinking about transition to the future, that Logan Ryan's just going to be, you know, a slot corner and he's going to be your third guy on the field, which I don't know that the Titans think that, but if they're willing to let him go, it gives you that indication. But if that's their plan with him, I mean, you can find slot corners like in the draft and in free agency. Like, it's not an incredibly hard role if you're, you know, if you've done it before. Like, it's not, you don't have to learn a ton about the defense to play that and be a rotational guy. It's an easy way to get onto a, de- like, it's an easy way to learn a defense or to get onto an NFL team. So, I just don't know how much value is in that, especially if you can't go in the slot and erase somebody like Tyree Kill or at least take the vertical routes away from him. I mean, Bradley Roby is someone that isn't the best when he's been asked into too big of a role, but he was a big part as a slot corner of why Denver won the Super Bowl a few years back. And I just think to your point, like, you might sign a free agent to be the slot corner, but it doesn't have to be Logan Ryan. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's what the consensus will be when they're meeting and talking about these four guys. 
So before we move off of free agency, because I do have one other topic I want us to get to, uh, give me and with just give me just the name and like a one sentence defense for the free agent other than the top four that if you could bring back you would. Mine is going to be mine was mine's tough, but I'm going to go with Chris Milton, the special teams guy. Because, oh my gosh, that dude was unbelievable as a gunner before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And then I remember like talking around the locker room like after he got hurt and people were like, you know, people were upset that he was hurt. Like this dude who had been there for three weeks already made that big of an impact. So that's probably the guy I would want to most have see them bring back. Yeah, I mean, I'll go and I'll say uh, Tajay Sharp just because of how good he and yeah. Tannehill work together. Like, I like that. If you if you can find a way to get him, I mean, even if it's like six million dollar a year, seven million dollar a year. I mean, he and Tannehill at certain points, especially late in the season and in that red zone area, and in you know every now and then on third situations where they needed somebody on the sideline, like. It, he and Tajay just seemed to connect, and that's probably because they had a ton of reps together throughout practice and spring and all that, or I guess whatever you call the off season. But I, I assume some of that is chemistry that was that will be replaced by Adam Humphreys down the line. But I mean, he and Tajay were good together. I, I agree with that, Nick. Um, initially, I would I would lean Dennis Kelly, but he's really just dependent on what happens with Conklin. Uh, so. Independently, I'd actually say Correa. Um, I That's think not a bad that choice. The, he took a big step forward. I thought this year and became like a player who wasn't that great to like a solid contributor. And I, I don't want him to be the starter, but I think he's a very solid depth piece and just one that really was crucial down the stretch, filling in when Wake went down and whatever happens. You know, if we add another edge guy, or we draft one. Like, I don't think we can just roll with that guy plus Landry. I think you're going to need some depth behind that. And I don't really feel comfortable rolling with you know Roberson or DeAndre DeAndre Walker as those guys. Uh, so I, I think you could be a big part of of our depth. I also think, and this is the one I was struggling with. I think Darren Bates probably ends up back here. Mm-hmm. He just is really well liked by everyone, and he's good at what he does. So. Uh, b- before we get to stop the nonsense, I want to talk a little bit about wide receivers uh, because Nick, you've been on a Stefan Diggs soapbox for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm a big Diggs fan. Um, I mean, granted, this was just born off of out of off season boredom in the fact that uh, you know there's I think the beat writers from Minnesota have placed it as like a 50 50 chance he's in Minnesota next year, so I think there's a good chance he is moved. And just kind of connecting dots and what um, Minnesota would be looking for. And, you know, and Diggs is on like an excellent contract. I think he's like averages 14 million over the next three years, which will end up being a bargain as the cap continues to rise, especially at his age. Um, But I do think that Corey Davis could be a valuable piece if you really wanted to move him, you know, with an expiring contract or option if they wanted from Minnesota and he kind of fits what they want to do in terms of he's an excellent blocker and physical. And, you know, I think that Zimmer and Diggs relationship has kind of come to an end and just the element that Diggs would bring to this offense would, 
you know, taking the top off would be excellent. Look, I like Diggs, but like I told you on Twitter a couple weeks ago, I mean, you'd be trading for someone who is probably going to see two or three targets a game because that's what they give Corey Davis. Yeah, but is that a chicken and egg situation, right? Like, are they only giving I don't know, him? Will, is it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, what are we wanting the Titans offense to be? Are we wanting it to be what we saw succeed for the last 10 weeks of the season, or are you going to want to change it to fit – a guy who was complaining about catches, you know, halfway through the season this year. Well, that goes without saying. I mean, Diggs would probably be furious if he got traded. <laughs> yeah, he would hate it. Ended up, yeah, it's um, like Antonio it Brown in Buffalo. Well, yeah, yeah in the, yeah, in theory, though, like you know, Rabel preached at the beginning that try to put our players in the best situation to succeed. And if you have a talent like, you know we can go on how good or bad Corey Davis is, but Stefan Diggs is like a proven commodity and putting him on the field. Like you got to get him the ball. And I would hope that they would give him more than two or three targets. And I think you can build on the, on the offense that we saw without completely changing it. But you know, you're right. It, it, this is, this is all Twitter off season talk. Um, I more looked at it as an opportunity to get a really good player on a good deal. Well, uh, have you heard the uh, Derrick Henry bussing with the boys yet? Yeah. Did you hear about your boy having turf toe last season? Yeah, I was going to say, did you hear LaJuan immediately stick up for him unprovoked? Because <laughs> it's, the he vindica- he- it's a vindication. He didn't get targets because he had turf toe. I mean, you know, Corey Davis is good. Like, history has shown us that when Corey Davis gets targets, he produces. It's just – I mean, if you put him in New Orleans, I have – no doubt he's a thousand yard receiver instantly. Like he's I mean almost a thousand yard receiver here last year. Yeah, I was thinking he got like twelve targets all season or something. Like <laughs> I mean he like he's exceptional and he's really good when you target him deep. And I just don't think he's gonna be able to have that role this year because AJ Brown is also much is better. Like a freak. Well yeah he's like I mean I don't know that he's necessarily a generational talent now, but I mean this is what generational talents look like when they start. I mean, so we'll see where he is a couple of years from now and all that, but there's very few people who've ever started off better than what A.J. Brown did, especially when you consider when you adjust it for volume and all that. So, I mean, now you're talking about, just in terms of talking about Corey Davis as a trade chip, you're talking about a guy that they're not going to pay wide receiver one money. They probably, probably won't pick up his fifth-year option. I mean, not even probably. They're not going to pick it up. And they're probably not going to pay him wide receiver one money. So he's a free agent after this season. I mean, why not trade him now, get a pick back, and then you attack this exceptionally deep wide receiver group for somebody who complements what A.J. Brown does in a role that probably is what they thought AJ or Corey Davis might do. So I don't know. I think we talked a couple weeks ago about how they need to trade Corey Davis. I mean, I, I think, think you, I think you I even agreed with that. I don't think we necessarily phrased it like that. I think we said that if they could get a like a top one hundred pick for Corey Davis, it would make sense for them to trade him. I don't because, think we said. I mean, you know, we could like we could sit here and argue till we're blue in the face whether he's good or not. The reality is they're not using him either way. Yeah, and that was my thing. Wasn't being a Corey Davis hater. It's more just like well. If he's just going to block and get two or three targets, and then we're going to let him leave in free agency, why not just do it now? Exactly. Um, it, it, that's good for both sides. So, I mean, and yeah, Luke, I was going to ask you. You know, you said why don't any why why doesn't every team pick up a fifth year option? Like, would you want to pick up 
Corey into $16 million option? Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you, you can't do it. It's For as much as I like Corey Davis, you just can't make that deal happen. So it's, it's just finding somebody who would be willing to trade a third-round pick to get mm-hmm. a guy like Corey Davis in a draft that's this deep. And, I mean, there's there's people out there, like, I, I mean – Miami would probably do it with how many picks they have up top. Like there's teams that would make that move. It's just, are are you comfortable doing that? Or, you know, is Rabel concerned more about the culture in the locker room and having a guy who he can say, look, we drafted this guy fifth overall. And he, you know, he blocks all the time and he gives, you know, I, I don't know, but the value there, if you can pick your fourth top 100 pick in a draft where you don't have a fourth round pick, it would really give you a lot more flexibility to kind of go up and maybe get an AJ Epinesa if you like him a lot, or maybe get somebody in the first round. So you end up with, you end up basically trading Corey Davis to get your second rated edge instead of your fourth or fifth rated edge. And, you know, nobody's really hurt by it. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting conversation to have, especially when there were rumors earlier this year, like before the trade deadline that Corey Davis was being mentioned in trade talks for Jalen Ramsey or whatever, even though I don't necessarily believe that, but it it is interesting to think that his name might've been floated around. We're going to close out, as we always do, with our Stop the Nonsense segment. If you have a recommendation for us, send it over to us on Twitter with the hashtag Stop the Nonsense. It's where we take a look at nonsense from the sports world of the last week or since we've been off for a little while. Uh, It'll be the last three weeks. Here's mine. I had to check when I first saw this to make sure it wasn't an article from, like, The Onion or Barry McCockiner. Um Jameis Winston undergoing LASIK surgery after his 30-interception season. I legitimately thought that that was a joke when I saw it the first time. Um, And, you know, the the nonsense part of that isn't that he had LASIK surgery, because, like, if he can't see, you know, whatever. The nonsense is that, number one, why has this not already happened? Because he's been bad for a while. And number two... Don't you just know that some team, whether it's the Lions or the Bengals, are going to dupe themselves into thinking that, oh, he he can see now. He's not going to throw any more interceptions. (laughs) I mean, goodness gracious, if you can't read a defense, you can't read a defense. I would love for him to be the Colts' replacement. Like, (laughs) I I would love for him to go there and, you know – show out or whatever you call it when he throws a bunch of interceptions and the people get excited because he threw for 400 yards. But, you know, I, I, that would be great. Um, I mean, like, fr- from someone, I have vision problems, right? Everyone knows I had I had eye surgery over Christmas. And, you know, I drove for like four or five years before I realized I couldn't see. And I went to the eye doctor because I was having trouble reading things far away. And they're like, not only or do you need glasses, you're barely legal to drive. But I'd never like gotten in an accident or anything or like run into anyone. It's like, oh, didn't see you there. Like I just can't like you know, decipher things. And like when I squint, like Jameis squints a lot, like it's usually to read something. So it's not like he just doesn't see the linebacker in the flat because he needed LASIK. Like that's not how this works. <laughs> uh, well, two things. One you kind of got to hand it to him though, right? Like if you're going to get this LASIK surgery, Oh yeah. Like <laughs> leverage, man, be, leverage. Yeah. Like, Oh, oh, a little bit intrigued now. Maybe we should give him a deal. 
and the second thing too is like this isn't gonna happen but imagine he goes to his new team and he really does just like tear it up no interceptions he's a new man like how pissed would you be to be a bucks fan to be like why oh, did you do this for the, the get-go why did you put us through all that and now you're awesome somewhere else that would be just the worst there, there would be rumors that come out that were like John Robinson before he left suggested that Jameis Winston get eye surgery before Jason Lick <laughs> turned him down. And it's like as soon as Robinson left, Light maybe how you pronounce it. It's like Jason Light just completely forgot how to like do anything personnel wise, and he was drafting kickers in the second round and doing all that stuff. So and he he like re-signed Cameron Brait to a long term deal and then drafted a tight end in the first round, like and somehow made it to where he got an extension or whatever happened this preseason or whatever. We got like a four or five year new deal, which is nuts. And then didn't, didn't uh, he also run the Jameis one of one account that I believe that's been debunked, but it, it is a strong <laughs> theory. Like I, I think people have said it's not him because of certain things, but if you don't man, know what that is, it's an account dedicated to praising the name of Jameis Winston. <laughs> Yeah, there was it, yeah, there was some pretty good circumstantial evidence there. It wasn't just yeah. out of nowhere. There was yeah, yeah some it's, stuff it's lined more, up. It's more like to me, it's more like is it him and also somebody else? So they're like, it couldn't have been me. I have video evidence of me being here at that time. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> what, know. That, Will, that Will, in, what do you what do you got, Will? I was gonna say that goes well into mine because mine is uh CBS's free agent rankings, which I mean whatever, put put everything with a grain of salt, but uh, they have Ryan Tannehill as the 21st best free agent, which, okay, like there's a bunch of edges coming out that, you know, there's there's a couple of big wide receivers and all that, but they have him behind Teddy Bridgewater, Ugh. which is insane to me. Uh, and uh, Jameis Winston is all the way up at 11. Oh my gosh. So, like, who wrote this? I need uh, a name. Let me, let me find somebody like Pete Prisco. Oh, of so, course. Like Pete, <laughs> it just—it's embarrassing. Like Anthony Harris, the safety for the Vikings, is ahead of Tannehill. Which he, Harris is good, but I mean, Harris is more of a like had his big year this year. And if you're going to compare guys like that, it should definitely be Tannehill. Then you get Corey Littleton ahead of him. Uh, you get uh, Eric, I think is how you say Eric Armstead. Like, which I like him, but I mean. Again, the, I mean, you could have so, just stopped at Jameis, and your point was made. I can't get over that. Well, well, I tried to compare it by quarterbacks, and then also like Bud Dupree is ahead of Tannehill. So I tried Ugh, to compare gosh. It and then it's also like one year wonders. So it's like one year wonders or guys who had very big years this year are ranked ahead of him, even though he was arguably better than any quarterback in the NFL that wasn't Lamar Jackson or uh, Mahomes. Over the like over the time he started, so if you're if you're trying to dismiss one year wonders, then all those other guys should be below him anyway. And then if you're trying to say like, well, you know, he's not the best quarterback, he's better than Jameis and Teddy Bridgewater. So it's just it's almost like he forgot that he was supposed to put somebody at twenty one and just scrambled and realized he also hadn't put in Tannehill and just like did like sometimes people will forget a player in a mock draft and they'll just like hurry and like run back in and write their name in. And it feels like one of those things where it's just, you know, I don't know if it's Titans disrespect because that's what happens all the time, or if it's just not actually watching the games or what, but it, that felt like a blatantly nonsensical take. I mean, I watched a lot of Tannehill this year. 
um, you know, in practice and games. And I watched one game of Jameis Winston, and in that game, he threw some of the most bizarre interceptions, like the one he threw to Malcolm Butler. Do y'all remember that, where he hit him in stride? Yeah, <laughs> like he hit him out of the break. It was wild. Also, uh, the Texans game, like that they had to play on Saturday or whatever. That yes, they, like where they blew the that, they blew the lead. Yeah, like and then Jameis like threw another like threw a, another critical interception. Like I mean, it was one of the worst games I've seen a quarterback play this year. And that was week fifteen or week sixteen. Like it wasn't like that was like week two and he rebounded. I mean, that yeah. was at crunch time to like decide if his team had any shot of like making any sort of noise at all or if it was just all going to be a collapse. You know, we'll just have to look back on it fondly because those interceptions just aren't going to happen anymore with LASIK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and We're you know, if, honestly, and this is a very quick kind of conspiracy type of thing. I'm drifting into will territory. Yeah. Um. If if he hadn't, if he had taken them down for a touchdown to win that game, the Titans wouldn't have rested Derrick Henry against the Saints, and who knows if they win or not. And he's not healthy for the playoffs, and they might not make it to the AFC Championship game. So. There you Thank go, you, I mean, or they get home field and beat the Bills and uh, don't have to play against. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's a big wor- a yeah. wormhole we could go down, but it is crazy <laughs> to think like if Jameis wasn't the worst quarterback in the NFL, like the Titans might have hosted a home playoff game this year. Nick, close us out. Well, we'll kind of mention it a little bit, but mine's going to be being enamored with Saints backup quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. There's a report today that he's going to get $30 million a year. What? Which I like, yeah, I, I like yeah. Teddy, but not, not that, that good. Much. No, like, I mean, that's he wasn't why that it's good like, when he was in up. Minnesota. Right. And people are talking about Teddy over, I've heard Teddy over Tannehill, and it's like maybe at half the cost, but Ew. not even then. And But even cost, no way. And, uh, you know, there was that Taysom Hill week that people were just talking about him as a viable starter, which, you know, I think like Derrick Henry's throwing as many passes as he has. And well, he's a good he's a good gadget player, but he didn't even do anything at BYU. But well, if you if you haven't if you haven't seen the video that's out there, it's like a cut up of Taysom Hill throws at BYU. Oh yeah. It is the most hideous quarterback reel ever. Like in the the conversation wasn't I think Glazer is the one who initially said it, but it wasn't even like Taysom Hill is like gonna be a quarterback somewhere. It was like the Saints are almost hoping that Drew Brees doesn't come back yeah. because they want to play uh, Taysom Hill. And it was it, it, I guess it was like it's like if you look over and your arm falls off, it's like you're in like a state of shock where you're like, <laughs> there's no way that happened in this reality. But yeah. for somebody to say like I know Drew Brees just had not not three games ago just had the most like most completion or the highest completion percentage in NFL history or whatever that stat was, uh, it, but like we're three three weeks removed and the guy who threw like two passes in a losing effort against the Vikings is all of a sudden better than your future Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean it's it's wild. I mean, talk about conspiracy theories. I'm like half convinced this is all just 
you know, Sean Payton spinning webs, trying to trick teams into taking them and getting good comp picks out of it. That's that's the only logical explanation it, here. It's a hundred percent. It's got to be like some big gamble, so he can see what, like, whether it's a comp pick or whether he's going to say, like, I'm going to franchise and trade him, and then he's going to get like a third or a second round pick for him this year because people are stupid. But I mean, it, it feels like there's no way that can be true, but it also feels like there's ten GMs in the NFL dumb enough to believe it. So, I mean, we'll see, but that's crazy. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll be back next week to continue dialogue on free agency. We might hop into draft stuff next week that hasn't been decided quite yet. Nick, thank you so much for stepping in today and for joining us. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. I I tried not to get uh, too hot takey for you. I'll save that for Twitter, (laughs) off-season Twitter. So for Nick, for Will, and for Matthias, who's absent, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. We'll see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.